Welcome to another episode of Catalyzing Radical Systemic Change. And like always in this podcast, it's about discovering, mapping, and cross-pollinating what I think are the necessary building blocks towards a planetary civilization ahead. I'm very grateful to spend this precious time and space uh, together in this room with Alessa Solberger. In my own understanding, how I make sense of you, Alessa, is you're a polymath, you wear many hats, but you've been working a lot in the last years in what some people would coin like ethical investment or impact investing. So before we start diving into the weeds of impact investing and why we think that's a lever, as we know money makes the world go round, I'm curious on the human being, Alessa, like what gets you up in the morning? What lets your eyes shine? And why do you then think that your involvement with, let's say the big money machine, the mega machine as somebody, as some uh, people call it, uh, makes uh, all the difference? Yeah, so really just curious to show more of uh, uh, Alessa. What, what sparked your interest in the whole topic? Thank you, Alistair, for this question. And it's great to be here with you today, covering uh, the kind of topics that I spent lots of time on too. To answer your question, I love connecting dots in unusual ways. And connecting dots in unusual ways, I think at this point in time on our planet and on the path we are on is extremely valuable for our evolution. Because as you know, Innovation happens at the fringes, at the cutting edge of where we're generally at. And in our hyper-connected world, in our advanced world, creating value in ways that might be unexpected, counterintuitive, polymathic, as you were saying, you know, bringing together different fields. We do have recent examples of this. Uh, crypto and blockchain technology itself are an example and so are a few different eras. You know, I think that even uh, companies that have defined the last decade or two, such as Apple, bringing together beautiful design with hardware and, uh, you know, other components that used to be siloed as hardware is not looking good. And, uh, you know, it's that's not the point. So, but there is so much more to be done, right? We're just scratching the surface of that. For me personally, when I reflect about why is this something that, I like doing and I'm good at doing and uh, I kind of represent that, you know, I am Swiss Brazilian, I have two very different sides in me. And I also have, uh, in a way, in my skills, you know, from having started my career um, in m and Goldman Sachs and private equity at Blackstone, but then having covered other completely different areas of entrepreneurship or the arts and you know completely different words that I do feel naturally come together at this point in my being in the way that I live my life and then also in the way that I show up through the value that I create through the companies that I build is extremely sort of like you know <laughs> telling of uh, you know who Alessa is your question uh, and then how how these manifests into the world uh, one of our companies, so the, the company that is taking most of my time right now, ESG360, is a climate tech startup that has the most diverse founding team you could imagine. Like we sometimes we just like the three of us look at each other and we're like, wow, guys, like we're so complimentary here. Yeah. 
and uh, and that's exactly you know uh, uh, the formula that was needed for this you know and that has made it grow and advance so fast and yet uh, you know it always marvels us so yeah I don't know if this answers your question but to me ultimately it does come down to bringing completely different fields and completely different points of view together both because it's who I am uh, and because eventually I do think that's uh, that's adding value into the world. Let's bring a couple of these buzzwords together. So you were mentioning counterintuitive, polymath, and complementarity. Why do you think, especially in, let's say, the state of the world we find ourselves in, um, this is so important? Because, I mean, normally you could say, well, you're an expert in one field, so it's more important to become even like like a deeper an expert in one field why do you think it's so important not only for your endeavors but especially for those in like let's say impact investing it's so important to bring like people from like a broad spectrum of let's say ontologies and perspectives um together yes so i want to start by saying that both are welcome needed and valuable right because sometimes in these discussions we get polarized oh no it's like this or it's like that and actually in my view it's both right so we need deep vertical expertise like that's never going to change just like we need these connecting the dots and this horizontal sense making now this horizontal sense making like why do we need that before going into the more sort of like concrete or technical explanation of that, I want to say that it's also on a human level, something that allows us to understand each other, understanding each other's perspectives in this world, I see as so essential. And I do see us as a civilization going to a point in time where we are no longer saying this is right and this is wrong in my specific subjective worldview. We are acknowledging and gaining awareness of our own subjective view and how our subjective view relates to other subjective viewpoints, which then all come together to create reality. And so this is extremely important. Why? Because it moves us from disconnection to connection. It moves us from lack of understanding each other to acceptance, right? So I think this plays a, a very fundamental role just from this point of view. And then the way that it comes uh, in, in uh, function in shape more concretely for the way that we we operate is that it's um it's really like building companies that can tackle complexities at scale so if i think about you know what i spend time uh, in day in day out you know impact and climate there is so much interconnectedness like you may touch a you think oh it's good we touch a and then b gets screwed up and then everybody's running to b and then what about c oh and then there's d nobody knew even about d and the list goes on. So these kind of taking online, not just the data points, but the, the knowledge areas and having enough people and enough of a system that can help with the sense making of it, I find very necessarily, especially because of that. And especially because at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about uh, going to the next level of our civilization, I think that next level has a level of... Um, it's not really complexity because I think at a certain level of consciousness, it all becomes really, really simple. 
Uh, but for where we are now, collectively, it does look complex and we can't assume we know, right? We need to stay very humble and try to gradually get there together. I wonder from if we can take it one level down in the complexity of the conversation and if you can sketch the ecosystems you're building like now and almost like back casting looking in the rearview mirror and saying ah what happened in maybe in your personal life but also triangulating with your professional experience what ultimately led you to this point in your biography now and how that interrelates precisely why this grid of building vertical expertise and horizontal sense-making is so important for that. Yeah, so if I backtrack it really a few years ago, I let go into, hey, what am I naturally interested in? What do I naturally gravitate towards? That also happens to be on what I would consider the critical path of where we're going and adds value right to everybody and so it was this surrendering and this surrendering came about through my personal journey obviously uh, and uh, working in a, an integrated way uh, from plant medicine to how we can just like you know on a day-to-day -day basis like tap into ourselves and gain awareness of who we are where we're going what we are all about um, these process led me more and more to kind of show up in uh, in a way that comes natural and top tier impact was born out of that you know top tier impact was never never something that was planned in this like space oh we're gonna do this and that and this is a network or this is a community or this is the investment banking services side and like absolutely not um it was completely organic surfacing from a place of wow I see a new paradigm through impact and sustainability that I uh, believe to be more appropriate than the current paradigm of our economy and society for where we're going or rather for where I would like things to be going. And so I want to support this paradigm. How do I support this paradigm? Hey, these things come so natural to me, of course, that I can help um, with connecting the dots in certain ways and uh, uh, with uh, bringing people faster towards where they want to be going together, uh, either, either by connecting or either by supporting certain functions that are relevant to what they're doing. So that's really what happened. Uh, it also happened in a way that I didn't expect it to be my next business, um, you know, in a way that you could say is like really just this natural or this play type of approach uh, that makes a lot of sense for me in general. And so it happened with um, the next things that came up. So for instance, in uh, January uh, Q1, 2024, um, a TV series on Gaia that I was approached to host and create will be premiering. And it's a TV series on all areas of uh, impact, positive impact. So really from consciousness expansion all the way to sustainable communities. And this came out in the exact same way. It was something that, you know, I, I do love sharing messages that I resonate with. And um, I, I have built a presence over time uh, through that sharing online. And um, I was being asked a lot to do video. But again, I didn't want to do video and long form video if it didn't make sense to me. So I just kept on saying, no, look, I, I'm not, I don't have an angle yet that resonates with me. 
And the moment that angle came out and it came out in this typical download fashion, you know, the whole thing, the whole concept, the name of the thing, two days later, I was approached to do this. Um, and I could say that something similar also happened with the ESG 360, our climate tech platform, SaaS platform that now takes most of my time uh, because it's a typical startup growth journey. And uh, and how we got together, you know, I could tell you that story, but I'll just pose it here because, uh, you know, really like what I was saying, sort of this, uh, you know, to summarize the answer is this uh, surrendering to the process that aligns with our skills and what we like to be doing, what we, you know, this kind of ikigai intersection, right? Um, yeah, that's that's really been part of that. I feel like because I'm a very visual person so I feel like I'm I want to give the listeners um, a story but also pictures of the ecosystem so let's start with top tier impact especially for those that are not so deep into impact investing um, what is top tier impact what was the genesis? Where is it standing? And how would you differentiate top tier impact to other networks of uh, impact investors? Uh, I think that's good for the first question before we then um, start um, outlining what you're building with ESG 360. So top tier impact is a place where um, leaders in the impact space, whether it's investors, founders, uh, professionals, and we have some climate scientists, some artists as well, increasingly so at the moment, come together, come together to um, exchange stories, exchange value, exchange knowledge. Uh, so most recently we had two people meeting each other. They work in the intersection of uh, uh, Web3 and Impact and they became co-founder through TTI. Uh, they're both highly experienced and successful in the space. But yeah, uh, I guess coming together uh, through us uh, in the last months uh, just made it all happen. So I saw the announcement recently. And so we have these kind of things happening all the time. You know, it's just the recent example I heard a couple of days ago from them. Um, and I miss a lot of them. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of stories like that. But ultimately, the difference from other networks and the growth of our network, I think comes down to the fact that TTI was never created to be a networking impact space. TTI was created to accelerate the mainstream adoption of impact as the way we do business, uh, running companies and investing in companies. It just happens that a way to deliver that, to deliver this acceleration that makes a lot of sense in general, but especially made sense for me, for what I was telling you, has a shape that is basically a network. So the fact that it came from this intention, right, the intention of delivering on that, the intention of going on this mission, the intention of making it happen together rather than, hey, we're doing a network and this is what's about and so on. I think that's what really differentiates or makes a difference there um let's let's I'm, I'm trying to come to grips with what excited you in the journey and if you were to pick one or two or three verticals ideally not only one what are the i don't like the word success stories or best practice examples what are the more 
magical um, things that are happening uh, in the network. And if you were to pick best practice examples or, or something mm -hmm. like that, what are they? And why especially top tier impact um, as a network, um, yeah, catalyzes the, the serendipity of uh, things to happen like that. So the, I think this is a great moment, Alistair, to branch into the fact that actually not only TTI wasn't born to be a network, but it's not only a network anymore. And I will give you an example that comes from our impact investment banking unit, where we mostly work with development finance institutions, which are the funds of countries all around the world. They are mandated to create impact. So their performance is measured by the level of impact, typically social impact, then other indicators as well. Environmental impact has become more relevant just recently in the last few years because these were in like historically social impact related organizations. Um, we have uh, supported uh, with partners as well in bringing these capital into companies in, across emerging markets, so Africa, Latin, Southeast Asia, that have an impact component, but that are also digital. This capital used to be for infrastructure, physical infrastructure and real estate projects. So we have been doing this. And an example that I can give you that uh, was announced several months ago is that we help facilitate uh, and complete the 90 million euro debt investment into a financial inclusion startup in Africa. Uh, it's a large one, obviously, at this point. It's called Wave, Wave Mobile Money. And uh, uh, it operates in Senegal as the leader in mobile banking and a few other countries. Uh, as you can imagine, obviously, financial inclusion is a big, big topic in these countries. And this was the largest round of debt ever raised in Africa in history for uh, a tech company. So breaking these records is important, not just for the company itself, but for all the other companies that are coming after them, some of which we are working together with, for these companies to believe that it's possible for them too, because it is, and we're supporting with that. So I think this is an example to give. And to me, it has particular relevance because of course there's a lot to do like, you know, here, uh, Europe, UK, US, but uh, we often have a gap to bridge also in the understanding of what the relevant issues and dynamics uh, in emerging markets are versus in our markets is quite different. Can you sketch another example that excites you? Another example that excites me is, um, so we organized these policy forums um, that happened a few years ago and up until last year on topics like green hydrogen, nuclear, like we picked them at times where, you know, it was, it was controversial and not even top of mind in the public discussion. Um, and uh, we have, like I was just told about it last week, and I, I'm, I'm very excited to hear this. Uh, we can't fully announce this whole thing yet, but there was a big um, consortium with like lots of capital and innovation around green hydrogen that formed uh, out of this as well. And uh, that's exciting for me because uh, I think that when you get different stakeholders to collaborate on technologies that are a little bit of the cutting edge, you know, so we're not just talking about renewable, but geothermal, fusion, uh, hydrogen, green hydrogen, which 
at the time when we held this conference was still a little bit um I don't want to say obscure but like there were just so many like little things that were being figured out uh and uh and tough to translate as well even to an audience of investors and I see how this has changed and then I see this kind of big partnership that has been coming together form itself and that's you know to me that's just fantastic so that's another recent one I heard of in we're recording this and you will get published as number 39 out of which I had a good dozen of um, yeah deep conversations with impact investors where do you personally differentiate your your own personal involvement and what is often flagged uh, by public opinion as greenwashing just you know just because you raised uh, the 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 word uh, around nuclear you know it's a highly controversial topic i don't yeah. feel like we need to touch on nuclear especially but where do you personally draw a line in between projects you get offered to support and people in the network that are support, supporting certain causes and really not wanting to use um, yeah, yourself and your ecosystem that you're building uh, for yeah, just ESG, fig leafing, greenwashing, I always call it. So I wish there was a simple answer to uh, go about this, Alistair. And the reality is that the way that we see it and we do it, it isn't that simple. Why? Because, for instance, the way that we go about um, climate-related financial disclosure, now biodiversity disclosure at ESG 360, the lines and the stages of how this is being done by companies, for instance, like they're they're numerous, right? So it's it's really not just like this is good and this is bad. But unfortunately, what I will say is that for the majority of companies, so what's going for me, there are two things that don't work. It's not just the, oh, let's dress this up for marketing purposes, which is greenwashing, in my opinion, in like, you know, in a summary, in a nutshell, um, just to appear in a certain way and just be useless in the background and not do the actual work that is required to truly make a difference and to truly implement the changes that are not simple, are not easy, but are required and mandated. So that's one thing. Now, the second thing is more, and this is really where we're, where we're operating at uh, with the SG360, is more the confusion and the lack of education and you know the chaos that comes around, how do we implement this transition? Now, I'm going specifically into net zero when I say transition, because that's effectively the process where you can see, okay, these companies truly committing to implementing the hard changes, or this company has not even a clue like when down the line. Now, again, the thing is, this confusion is happening also because um, whether our company has been proactive or not about all of this and about uh, being serious about sustainability, the regulation has been coming. now. I'm really not saying that, oh, the regulation is the silver bullet and we're all good, right? Because the process of education and learning happens on that side of the fence as well with regulation. Now there's ISSB coming out, which is going to be part of IFRS. So at an accounting, global accounting standard level, all of this is going to be implemented and, and, and um, you know, taken into the equation. But what I am seeing there is so much uh, confusion and so, so much actual work 
that needs to be done, not just in a specific way through a software platform like ours, but actually across the organization from a coordination perspective and from a communication perspective of different stakeholders having to find ways to communicate with each other and make this change happen. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is, it's not that simple just because there are different parts of it. I think the classic greenwashing is the, um, this is for marketing purpose. And when you when you just lift the veil, like you can see quite easily. So that's, that's where I, you know, I don't find it um, too tough, you know, for me to tell like what's real or not. And again, you know, we are in a place where uh, most cases, like, you know, all of this was treated as, you know, related to marketing as opposed to related to, you know, I can go into a longer discussion about this. So, you know, you tell me if uh, we're going that direction or not, but as supposed to be put in the different buckets where it's going now. I think we both agree that obviously changing the fundamentals within a company and within a supply chain um, is ultimately where at least um, the road towards net zero needs to go. Besides it being, when I started my sustainability, my, when I started working in my career, built up a B2B magazine on sustainability issues uh, 17 years ago, most of these endeavors were usually the guys in the marketing department. And we see um, how much has also uh, changed. In my opinion, not all of it only for the better, but definitely that companies are becoming way more aware of, let's say, the urgency of the challenges ahead. I feel more like um, we can't both can't look into a crystal ball, but we're both in, in the sector for many years. So I wonder, how do you see the sector in general developing? Um, when you look like three years, five years, 10 years into the future, um, what changes uh, do you see happening and what excites you also with uh, playing a role uh, within your uh, ecosystem? Yeah, it's nice getting this question also with the perspective of you having been in the space for a while, because as you know, a few years ago, everything here was smaller, simpler, simpler, but also a bit more confused, perhaps, because what I see with well, the main thing that I've been seeing is a lot of expansion just in terms of the sheer number of people being involved in all the specific movements of uh, uh, the impact space. And, you know, we can take climate now as a reference point, right? Because obviously it's, a, you know, it's a big driver here, but also it's become so much more sophisticated. So when, when I started Top Tier Impact, we could say, hey, impact, right? And there's a few different things going on and we also help reconcile what impact actually means but now even if you zoom into the climate space the well-being space there is so much diversity so much action and so what i think is going to happen is that just like we have seen several trends going mainstream now several understandings of i mean obviously like you know bringing net zero into all boardrooms bringing esg bringing conversations that are about how you know, how and why this has to happen, bringing that into policymaking, like all of this has now happened. And yet, in a way, I still feel like we're scratching the surface because all of this will become so uh, integrated and basic, so to say, to how we show up in business, right? And that is what I see happening for the next few years. And I don't just see it in this example right now with climate. I see it with well-being, for instance. Like I think that COVID was such a big push 
for all conversations around both mental health, but also modalities from plant modalities to, you know, like Norma psychotherapy modalities, like so to say Norma, but like all the range of things that before, you know, five years ago plus, like we're just a little bit like on the sidelines in conversations have all gone mainstream. And I think that these will just keep on happening to the point that in three to five years, it'll be like, just thinking that this was not the case before will be crazy, right? That is what I see happening right now in a nutshell. I wonder if if we if we can both jump into a time capsule and explore what a pathway beyond net zero looks like. Mm. Because if I remember rightly, so you found a top tier impact um, with the mission to adopt sustainability more into the mainstream. I think that's one pathway. Um, and I think that pathway needs to be like net zero. So like less bad behavior, which has a lot to do with changing the biggest companies and supply chains and standards and measurements and reporting. The other perspective would be more on like pushing the envelope towards what now has become another buzzword, but at least that I strongly believe in, how can we create business models that tr truly regenerate the health, the soil, the welfare, the ecosystems, um, yeah, on this emerging global civilization. And yeah, I'm really just curious where you're standing both with your own positioning as well as where you see the market moving. Yes, yeah, so regeneration, as you say, has become a massive buzzword. And yet I really see these net positive path as our future. If we truly are to advance, it just feels natural to contribute rather than extract. It's just natural. When you think about the way in which nature evolves as an entire ecosystem, the way that balance is perfectly preserved no matter what, and you think about you know, this term that we use, like advanced civilization. So what's the advance? Like, how can we contribute, right? Like, I think that this is the next step. And when I think about more concretely, okay, so how is this going to happen out there? Well, first of all, we need to have extremely compelling and exciting examples of it. And this is where, for instance, like my TV series on Gaia, Road to Utopia, is going to show these lighthouses, is going to show examples of how these actually happens and happens through an incredible business, a business that is truly making sense on, on all fronts and is proposing something new, right? Hey, I want to be on that boat too, right? Can I jump over to that boat? Like that is what I think is the easiest and most compelling way to like bring over. It's not about, oh, that's bad. And you know, that's not good. And we need to do it in the way we should do it this way. Forget about that. Um, it all needs to come from a different way of operating. And so this uh, is happening in parallel. Um, and I am supporting it, not just through top tier impact, but as I said, also with these uh, larger public sharing, uh, such as this TV series, and then there is the part of, you know, the net zero work, for instance, that we do through ESG 360. That is the basis to then say, hey, 
we've got our stuff together, we've got the data, we finally understand what we never understood before, now we can do more than that, we can do more than net zero, and we are empowered and educated to understand how we could, for instance, be regenerative as a business that never even knew what that concept means or thought about it for a second. So really, it is about laying those steps uh, for them to walk towards that. So the, the picture that comes to mind and the word that you have been mentioning is like parallel tracks. I think this is where I very much resonate with you. So what comes into my consciousness is like more mainstream adoption, net zero, and in parallel both spreading the stories, but also, yeah, creating the acupuncture points to yeah, push the envelope to go um, beyond net zero. I'm curious if you have from your own network uh, a couple of exciting examples to share where you think companies are already, let's say, going beyond net zero and into regeneration? So there are startups for sure, and, uh, and that's a whole uh, little ecosystem to explore. You know, it's actually not just for the way I see regeneration is not just, oh, regeneration is an area. It's more like regeneration is an enabler, just like a technology like AI is an enabler or regen or um, sorry, not regeneration, but like sustainability would be something that goes anyway. It's the same with regeneration, right? So we see startups at the intersection of regeneration and farming, regeneration and Web3, right? Regeneration in so many different areas. Like you can really apply it as a mindset. Um, the examples of companies uh, that you're asking, I have to say, I am a yet to come across a case study that I can legitimately say and be confident to put out there and say that they're doing it because you know what, let me tell you, there are a lot of companies out there that are claiming it. They are not actually doing it. So I'm just not comfortable with mentioning any of those because everything I've looked at is not regeneration. Thanks. I, I agree to, to, to compare it with a metaphor uh, from gardening. I think what we basically now know and come to grips with is like, let's say, the old world that is obviously crumbling, that has few decades left to move towards net zero and completely new ways to reimagine how do we do business and how do we actually really create resilient companies and ecosystems for regeneration. Um, nevertheless, if not companies, do you have some seedlings, some initiatives, some things that excite you in the regenerative space? Absolutely. So for instance, here on uh, this uh, island of Ibiza, uh, where I'm in, there are farming projects, such as one called Juntos, Juntos Farm. They're really looking at not just the regeneration of the soil, but really how the community comes together in enabling these, you know, zero kilometer of delivery in enabling this, hey, if I don't have it, you have it, like, let's make sure that we're all collaborating together, right? So it's not just the adoption of all the practices that means we are treating soils and produce in a regenerative way, but also we are um, enabling 
everybody <laughs> to move towards that goal together, right? So that um, I mentioned this the other day to someone who found it really funny. So I like to tell my team sometimes one plus one equals three. So <laughs> confusing mathematics, but this is my favorite way of saying how we can create synergies. And so I think for projects like them to have this synergetic approach, right? Not just, hey, here is how we're bringing regeneration into the equation. And also here is how we are enabling our surrounding ecosystem to be part of that same journey because that enhances everybody. If you allow, because I know you've been sitting on many panels, also have done a couple of podcasts specifically on the intersection of Web3 and sustainability. And before we dive into it, I want to yeah, share the context from my own perspective. Um, for me, Web3 and distributed le ledger technology is super interesting. I personally think that somewhat 98% of it is really just pretty much bullshit and Ponzi schemes. Um, I was with 99%, so I feel I'm becoming more <laughs> inclusive with ditching 98%. Okay. <laughs> so I wonder, especially when it comes to transparency, new governance structures, um, radical incursion, uh, bottom of the pyramid projects, where do you see, um, yeah, your own ecosystem interfacing with Web3 technology and what are the couple of examples that maybe beyond the seedling stage uh, do you think are exciting? Yeah, well, what you just shared, I have been sharing for years. So I think we're just on the same page, you know, on the fact that 99 plus percent of things um, unfortunately are hot air, still are today and have been in the past. And, you know, it's over cycle and cycle of Web3 is shown. Um, I think it is, if we take responsibility for this, it is a reflection of our level of consciousness in general that a technology with such great potential for collaborative governance designs and new ways of organizing together as humans has defaulted more in the dystopian rather than the utopian direction. But leaving all of that aside, how have we related to it? Well, look, I first came across uh, blockchain technology and Web3 in 2012 because of my background in governance design. I did get excited about it, but I've also stayed very realistic over the years in what is usable and achievable, UX, UI, education, and everything else along the way. So I looked at using it multiple times at Top Tier Impact and never implemented it simply because I want Top Tier Impact to be straightforward, easy to use, like inclusive, intuitive, you know. So, I mean, we are super simple in the sense that uh, we are on uh, native communication platforms. Like that's that's just how we do things. And if there was something in Web3 that I deemed to be like that fantastic, right? Like I would, I would go for it and I could definitely benefit from these governance mechanisms for people to feel more empowered and part of a community and but part of a community is in you know with their voice with their voting power with like things being organized together right in a way that aligns incentives i love that and so it has been with a heavy heart that a couple of times when i looked at doing this also because of like you know the amount of activity at TCI and like things going on thinking like it'd be so great to have this to tidy it up and make it easy for everybody, including us. 
Um, it was just not possible. And so I, I don't know when it's going to be. So it's interesting how you gave the answer. Let, let me try to be more specific because I think you gave the answer about adoption of Web3 technology for your own ecosystems, which yeah. is, I think, one direction. The other thing is more from, if you say 99.9%, what are the 0.1% where mm. you really think distributed ledger technology, at least in a seedling state, makes a difference, deserves yeah. the attention, deserves to attract um, um, more investing? And where do you say like the, the ripple effects, the ultimately the systemic change uh, effects right. taking place? Okay, so let me go straight into a, another controversial topic that I think deserves clarifications, carbon offsets. To me, there is massive corruption, lack of clarity and BS in the carbon offset space. Now, let's just start with the fact that in itself, carbon offsets are, in my view, how they're perceived today, a flawed concept. Because how is it that we're just supposed to be taxed and then still behave badly rather than fixing things at the core. So I already find that that has a structural issue to start with. Second part is obviously that if we leave that to the side then we go into how this process concretely happens, endless examples, endless examples we get told off pretty much every week about corruption, about things not existing, about you know all, all kinds of stuff. Now, the way that I look at that space is a little bit reversed. So I will address how I think that these can make sense. Now, these to me make sense when you think about nature as these incredibly valuable assets. Like we've been doing that with gold. We've been doing that with this with bits more recently, right? In the Web3 space. Um, and yet we all need to agree inherently there is something there, right? Like we're trusting there is something there. Nature, there is no question about the value and the rapidly increasing value of it in this world we live in. And so from my perspective, because I know that some people get polarized about, well, why do we need to price nature into the equation? Well, we have not been pricing it. And now you can look at the consequences of that. So yeah, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have to price it because it's obvious at a consciousness level, the, the value of this. Unfortunately, we're not in that world yet, right? So it's better than nothing to approach it in a positive way. So rather than a negative externality, hey, let's fix these negative externalities with some taxes, that can be manifested with carbon offsets, more like a positive externality with positive intrinsic and growing value as an asset, right? So I see companies such as the Intrinsic Exchange based in the US that are looking at bringing also normal classes of investors and publicly traded uh, structures into this equation and approach it differently, right? So move away from these taxing carbon offset mindset to that. And this is where I think that this technology is extremely helpful. Now, why it's helpful? The basic reason is obviously because there is all this lack of transparency. There is all this corruption taking place. Absolutely ridiculous, right? Given the reason why this exists in the first place. So there is such an important use case. And there is an active market. And yet everything I have seen. So now this is an example of like where it's needed. But now let me get to the fact that the things that I have seen being done in this space um, have actually been disappointing. And I can't really pinpoint if it's because they didn't really dare to go to the point where, you know, these, these property of 
traceability, transparency, transparency can truly be owned and implemented, right? And when I say daring, as in daring that the business model and the market will absorb this positively. So I don't know if that is one of the reasons or there are other reasons for it, but this is an area where I do still see a big gap. And a, and a big, you know, to your question, like 0.1% uh, uh, of truly making sense and truly potentially, you know, helping with something that needs to be fixed. I think the overall tonality of the podcast has been very critical. So <laughs> what are signs of hope? <laughs> well, I think your questions have definitely gotten us there. But in terms of signs of hope, you know, I think it's always the other side of the coin. It's always the other side of the coin, because when we think about what I just told you right now and, and the criticism about what's happening, on the on the flip side, I have never seen more funds, for instance, like being raised for reforestation and restoration. I haven't seen projects like the Intrinsic Exchange until recently. Like I haven't, like there's just so many people coming into the space with the right intentions because, you know, at the end of the day, technology or tools and capital are, so to say, neutral in the sense that it depends on the intentions of the humans that are leveraging them. Um, and so in a way, for everything we talked about today, Alistair, there's another side of the coin. So let's talk about corporates and net zero as well. At this point in time, we have never had before this public push that is not just happening from, you know, normal people and the press is happening from regulation saying, guys, all of you, all of you publicly listed companies, now recently privately uh, privately owned companies, whether you like it or not, here's what you got to do. And here the penny drops because what needs to be done is a lot, is very onerous, right? So for what relates to climate sustainability, not yet regeneration, but at least this part. So it's incredible for me to witness that, right? And go like, whoa, this is really happening. And guess what? Like if I have to to sort of like step back and look at the pace of it, the pace of it is so intense. We can't ask for more, even though we would want it to be even faster, right? We're all like, hey, we're running out of time. This needs to happen yesterday. But realistically speaking, in a pragmatic way, regulation has become so intense that it's like, wow, we need to approach this step by step and not panic, right? And do it gradually because that's what's feasible, at least today. And for me, you know, that's extremely exciting as well, right? It's exciting to see it happen. It's exciting to see that ecosystem that continues to evolve. Um, and then, and I really wanna do this exercise by taking the specific things that we talked about. So maybe you tell me like how we can approach the flip side of any of the topics we, we brought up today. But another one that I wanna mention is like really like zooming into the well-being space and seeing how common it has become, even with funds that are general impact funds that until a few years ago, they would tell us, hey, areas like psychedelics, we'd love to support, but it's not okay for our LPs. It's not okay for like the image of the fund. That has changed just in the last 18 months, right? And it keeps on changing and all these discussions and even like people that... Um, uh, I've, this is more anecdotal, but I came across someone who's been doing like a big experiment around psychedelics with some universities, but because of like his 
uh, uh, position in the public opinion and involvement and so on has not been able to talk about it publicly and now is, you know, and now will soon do so. So there are a lot of these examples on the well-being side of things that are just rocking the boat, but also showing the, the acceptance, you know, how we've all talked about this one way or the other. I still remember that in uh, May 2022 uh, in uh, Davos, we were hosting some impact events and uh, there was one on uh, psychedelics and I really shared openly like my experiences as well. And several people still, you know, came up and said, wow, incredible that you would share it. And I think now if I was in the same situation, I wouldn't even hear that, right? Because you'd be like, yeah, of course we're talking about it. <laughs> Why not? So yeah, so the signs are all there. Like everything, you know, we live in a duality-based world. Like there is flip sides to each single topic here. Yeah, I wonder if instead of flip sides, I, I see it more on a, on a spectrum. So people that watch the video can see me trying to draw the spectrum. The others have to close their eyes maybe if you're not driving when you're listening to the podcast. So I see on, um, let's say, one side of the spectrum, I see singularity, techno-utopianism, basically people that saying, yeah, well, you know, we will leapfrog, it will somehow pan out, you know, technology has always accelerated and um, made radical changes. On the other side of the spectrum, I see podcasts and discussions that basically say, well, we don't even have the hydrocarbons to mine the minerals to make the transition possible. So that's kind of the emotional spectrum uh, that right. I hold. And I agree with you that on a public discourse level, a lot has changed, not only in the last 10 years, but much like you said, just in the last two years. So basically speaking about psychedelic experiences is not like off the charts uh, impossible. It's more like like you say, even more mainstream funds are now approaching to invest into, let's say, innovative approaches to mental health, mental healing, psychedelics, traditional plant medicines, and so forth. So I wonder, instead of, I mean, I like this flipping the coin and, you know, showing some positive examples, where do you personally, really as the human being, um, Alessa, see your side on, 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 mm. this, on, on the spectrum? Yeah, I really like this, this spectrum you drew, Alistair, and um, <laughs> I think about it. So I used to be closer to the techno-utopian side of things, including when I started TTI. Um, I have to say that because of speaking with climate scientists pretty much every week, geopolitical experts and all of that has been a medium to long-term cold shower in the past couple of years for me. So uh, I have to say, I am a bit closer to the other side of the spectrum right, right now than uh, the techno-utopian side. However, with that said, it's still a little bit like, you know, the way that I describe it, I think it's, this is an important thing for me to incorporate into consciousness. I could choose to not get as much of that information that I currently get, you know, from experts in various areas. But I do like to do it because it's my own practice and exercise to process that, process the feelings that arise within me from that. And then after doing that, choose how I show up and what I want to go for, stand for, and experience, right? So I still, you know, after doing that, go and explore things that 
they're not necessarily just on the techno-utopian side of things because it's also not my background. Like I'm not, a, say, Fusion founder, right? <laughs> so it's not that. I do support uh, companies in these areas, um, whether it's, you know, top tier impact, activities, visibilities. Uh, we will talk about some of these topics in the TV series too. So there, there is overlap, but definitely not in terms of like my specific activities. So I would say that my specific activities have a little bit of that mixed with more um, sort of like present day structure level uh activities so what i mean is uh you know okay what in the context of the regulation of today right these platform and these saas technology can really accelerate what we want to see being done right so i guess that my my to summarize my answer is like i have shifted on that spectrum i like the uh how it's drawn uh and yet even though i am closer to the other side of the spectrum I then choose how to go about things because obviously it's also not going to help us if we just stay hanging out on the full other side of the spectrum, complaining about how things are. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I stand, I guess. So let's move towards the last part of the podcast. And I want to share a dream because we, I don't know, you know, ever since I met you, I have the feeling I can bring that up. That dream came, I received that dream or that vision somewhat eight to nine years ago in a deep um, series of ayahuasca retreats. And I saw us as humanity somewhat, maybe 500 years in the future as an interplanetary civilization and having healed the many wounds that we inflicted on the mother organism, but not in a retro-romantic sense that we suddenly now all are permaculture farmers, but that we made wise sense of AI, robotics, and so forth, including, like I said, starting to populate the Milky Way and start interfacing with other interplanetary species. So if that's not too crazy for you, I would like you to pick, we can stay on the meta level first. What do you think are the crucial building blocks towards a planetary civilization ahead? If you were to look at your own legacy that you leave behind, unless you get immortal, let's say Alessa will, I don't know, have 120 years on this planet in this body or something like that, or 95 or something like that. From a legacy perspective, what you want to leave behind, what are the crucial building blocks towards a planetary civilization ahead? And what's your role in that? Planetary, you mean multi-planetary, yeah? We can stay with a... I mean, I'm I'm happy for you <laughs> to answer that from a multi-planetary perspective. Yeah. You can also see it more from us as a species growing up with nation states yeah. to ultimately coming to grips. You know, I, I think... I think they're all parts of the same. So we may as well, for illustrative purposes as well, we may as well talk about multiplanetary. Now, I wrote a poem about this a few years ago. I like to write uh, short stories, like rhyme stories about these kind of topics. <laughs> Happy to read that too, because it does summarize a few things, but just a specific, it summarizes through a intense story, uh, the consequences of, I guess, not approaching these building blocks in a certain way. And so let me let me get to something and then you know we can go and read that or whatever, although it is something like four or five minutes. So 
just FYI, four or five minutes long. One of the core building blocks, in my view, is being able to play these infinite rather than finite games. So exporting this finite game that we are currently playing in our economic paradigm to other planets only means a finite horizon. Mind this planet, extract from this planet, next one, next one, next one. Makes absolutely no sense. Also, in my view, and I will stop there so that you know you don't tell me, hey, we're going a bit too far out in here. But I do believe that there are balance mechanisms in the wider universe, or let's say other more advanced forms of awareness and consciousness that uh, look at <laughs> Look at that, you know, and 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 look at keeping a balance that uh, includes these sort of like regenerative, uh, infinite type of uh, approach to how things are being done. And so, for me, a core building block is this, uh, you know, moving to uh, infinite games rather than finite ones. Like concretely, we've been talking about it most of this podcast. Regeneration is the the core one. Um, I could go into. A lot of other pieces, but I'll just stop here and check with you. No, you're you're not scaring me. I'm. I, I precisely think before, before being able to play in an infinite game and in an interplanetary game, we better make sure that within the planetary boundaries we close the loops, get the plastic out of the oceans, making sure what do we do with like highly toxic nuclear waste and so forth. And then I personally don't see any boundaries, literally uh, from interplanetary to interdimensional, whatever. We can we can go like pretty far out there. So the question is more for you, you know, what would be the feeling, you know, what would be the excitement, what would be the emotion with which we want to leave, uh, yeah, the listeners? Mm-hmm. Mm, beautiful. I think, you know, when I tap into this last question more and I think about it, like what comes through is also these, this collective consciousness and this collective consciousness, not necessarily being this abstract, ooh, feeling and whatever it is. And maybe I experienced it in some journey or whatever. It's actually more really bridging, bridging um, each other's perspectives with compassion and with a constant effort of understanding each other. Uh, I think it's something that can get us all, whether it's like, you know, in the public arena or in day-to-day context that uh, get us such a long way. Now I'll, I'll say a tiny random example that yesterday there was this, uh, this group of ants that somehow we had a drop of honey like somewhere in the house. And, you know, here in Spain with the climate, like, you know, living in the countryside, (laughs) there's like all sorts of little animals. But I was just observing how these ants picked up the signal and organized themselves. And, you know, I was thinking we have very little, because I looked it up as well. And I'm like, very, very little understanding of how all of this actually happens, right? For a species that is right here everywhere. So I really think that, uh, you know, without going into, hey, here is the laundry list of things that we need in order to have this regenerative loop and, and so on. Just these bridging the gap and tapping into that collective feeling like, hey, we're in this together. We are all on this same rock together. 
and tapping into that, not just in the special moments or the circle and the ritual, but really like in a as a practice uh, day in, day out, or especially through tough moments, tough feelings, tough experiences, um, always gets us a long way. I can I can definitely say so for myself. I agree. I, I agree on the emotion, but I have the feeling I want to at least try. So building blocks for me are like radical redistribution, intergenerational trauma healing, um, certainly in very different ways, um, giving people access to what I would call the sacred testaments of unity consciousness usually packaged in psychedelics, but also accessible through other meditation techniques. I also did a podcast uh, on my own darkness uh, retreat experience. Um, another one is really radically rethinking the way we're stewarding intergenerational wealth and coming up with smart asset classes that really make a difference on a very longitudinal uh, effect. Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. when we see that the maximum of biodiversity in forests is often only reached after a couple of hundred years. So far, we don't, do not even have the asset classes that are able to deploy capital into such formats. Mm -hmm. Another one is definitely smart ways where a lot of these beautiful initiatives in the cultural um, quadrant, so to say, find the interstitial tissue to really um, interoperate. I think uh, Hilo is not, not too bad of an example that, that I'm aware of that are able to interlink like thousands of communities. Um, yeah, all the way up, all the way down. Also maybe a thing that, that you could consider for top tier impact or, or ESG 360. So these were now many examples from my side and I don't feel they're just like empty hashtags because I've been exploring them now Yeah, for more than a decade, more than a couple of decades, actually. So I wonder if you were to pick your own involvement, your own legacy, and where do you want to leave an imprint on this beautiful planet called Earth? What are the building blocks that are very close to your heart and that you want to see like ripening and flourishing uh, in your lifetime? Mm, such a good question, Alistair. And you know what, as I, as you were just asking this last question and I reflect about it, I feel it's been moving and changing for me, actually, in the sense that it started much more in the asset class and regenerative side of things. So talking about asset classes, as you know, the current forms of um, equity that we have have been around for 500, 600 years throughout which we have had only more and more concentration. So the data points on how this is flawed and what it has led to in terms of inequality are right there. And ironically, they have accelerated for various reasons in the last few years. So that is something that I explored a lot uh, a few years ago, also when I was uh, uh, looking still more at uh, specific uh, projects and initiatives uh, within Web3. And... Uh, and so that's one that's that's been there, followed by regeneration, actually. I feel it's shifting right now. And I feel it's shifting in a direction that uh, possibly relates more to well-being and, uh, you know, and, and our beings themselves, but not necessarily at the level of 
um, you know, here is how we dive in and, you know, take care of intergenerational trauma in a way that is, you know, informed by uh, various different practices, almost at the levels that might, again, relate to this current reality, day-to-day systems, how we operate and all of that. So I cannot tell you what this is right now because I think it's uh, it's shifting. Yeah. Instead of asking you a question, um, finishing the podcast, what... Wow. <laughs> I have to cut this out. Wow. Wow. Nicht stören. I'm so sorry. Um, wait. This has never, ever happened. Wow. Wow, I didn't have one integration. It was my mom, my grandma is about to die. Anyhow, um, I will have my, my team cut that out. Alessa, instead of asking you a final uh, question, what would be almost like a sharing from your heart? What, what would you like to give away from this beautiful, deep um, yeah, conversation to the listeners? Where can they make a difference? Where can there they find their ikigai? What do you think? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a good question, I guess, because there is still a question in there for for the sharing. And you know, when I when I tune in, I really the message that comes through is that we got this end finding the courage of truly feeling into what that ikigai or what that calling is, is a vulnerable, raw, beautiful work that happens in some big moments, but also happens in the small moments. And the courage to really look at that is what I want to transmit. Because I do believe that if we lived in a world where everybody can just be aligned with their dharma and have the space to express from there, to play from there, to create value from there, then everything else would take care of itself by default. Thanks, Alessa, for the beautiful, deep conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Alistair.